0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning, America. Welcome to A veteran Story on AmericasWebRadio.com. I'm Pete Necker, your host. Had a few difficulties this morning, but we're finally on the way. Uh, we have a, a wonderful show for you today. We have a guy that was down in the Mekong Delta in Vietnam. Very few people know about the Delta. It doesn't get very much recognition, but uh, his name is Doug Gardner. Uh, he's born and raised in Porterdale, Georgia. Uh, welcome to the show, Doug. Thank you, Pete. Glad to be uh, here, dude. I know you are, man. Good to hear your voice again, too. Uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing in the big metropolis of Porterdale, Georgia. <laughs> well, I was born in Porterdale. Uh, we lived there probably three or four years, then we moved to Decatur, then back to Conyers, then back to Porterdale when I was 10 years old, so that's where I spent the rest of my days until I went in the military. How big was Porterdale when you were growing up? It was, couldn't have been too big. No, they were, you know, it was a big uh, manufacturing company, uh, Cotton Mill, so they were just people that worked there live lived there. So yeah. it, it wasn't it, a it, real big block. And you worked at the bib plant there in Porterdale uh, right after high school, didn't you? I did. Uh, I worked there probably six months. Then I joined the Army. Okay. And you weren't drafted. That's You were 18 years old. You were at the bib plant in Porterdale, Georgia. What the prompted you to go ahead and join the Army to serve the country in time of war? Well, my dad was in World War II, and I always looked up to him. And there was just something in me that wanted to serve my country, uh, so I joined the army. I guess my mom, uh, <laughs> my mom didn't want me to go, but I I, I told him I had to go. All right, I, and and your life would never be the same. Uh, no, nope. I I didn't even tell my parents that I was on my way to Vietnam. Uh, I think it thrown them into a loop. Now, after uh, you went for basic at the. Uh, Wonderful Fort Leonard Missouri boy have I heard a lot about Fort Leonard tell us a little bit about your basic training Well I went to basic training at Fort Benny then I went to Fort oh. Leonard Wood for, for my oh. AIT training Oh okay well, when you got down to uh, Fort Ben what did you think about uh, joining Army after that Well when I got off of that bus into my basic training unit I thought what the heck have I done <laughs> My mama my mama was right. <laughs> How long were you at uh, Fort Benny? I was there two months. Two months. Uh, will you agree with all the other recruits that uh, the, the DIs, the mental cases? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. When you left uh, Fort Benny, that's when you went to Fort Learwood. You were chosen for uh, Field communications. Did you test with that, or they just said you were going to do it? No, that just when I got my basic training, they sent me to Fort Leonard Wood for that training. Uh, huh. I didn't really know what I was going to be doing, but I stayed there two months. Then they. Well, I, rem- I remember you said that you were trained in field communications, and you never understood why. <laughs> Explain no. that to me. <laughs> well, when I got to Germany, they put. My whole class, what they were doing is sending one class to Vietnam, one class to Germany, and one class to Korea. So I got selected to go to Germany, and when I got there, they put every one of us in my class in the infantry unit. So that's where, <laughs> where I stayed from then. I, did you ever use your field communication training? I was late. In no, well, I, I when I got into my company, I told my just, uh, commander, sorry. I said, I didn't train in infantry. I trained in he communication. He said, well, you can carry the trick 25 if you would like to. <laughs> I said, that's all right. <laughs> all right, I'll tell you what, Doug, uh, already we have to go to our first break. Well, folks, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Sorry for the delay this morning, but we shall overcome, okay? Uh, be back in just a couple minutes with uh, Doug Gardner.
2: If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. You threw me a turtle ball there, like friend. Medical care, linguistics, and engineering. <laughs> an Army career can amplify your okay, efforts we'll, with
3: humanitarian we'll opportunities all, all over the world. The Plus, you'll receive a competitive bit pay of a and incredible we'll
0: benefits. So you'll be taken yeah, care now, when of, when too. I come back, Learn more at GoArmy.com. Um, You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Okay.
3: Good morning and welcome to uh, America's Web Radio and uh, a veteran story and we've got another veteran story tomorrow as I was listening to uh, Pete's guest about Fort Leonard Wood that was the first uh, I said the first uh, last uh, base I was on and the first time I was really introduced to uh, a new look in the military which is called contractors and when I drove up to Leonard Wood uh, there were no MPs. They were all contractors, and uh, a very strange thing. But what I broke in for is that I want to remind everybody that tomorrow on David's pick, my pick, we have a great guest, Mike Roman, and we're going to be talking Turkey. And I think uh, each of you can appreciate what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Pete, you and your guest, in that. The one thing I've got to give the military is that they seem to really bend over backwards to make it as homey as possible, and on Thanksgiving and Christmas, they serve a big turkey dinner, uh, lunch, or whatever. And uh, the only problem I had with some of that sometimes was when they would serve it in a thunderstorm on those metal trays. I, I must say, I, I, I had a little bit of qualms of standing there like a antenna. But other than that, uh, the military, all branches go out of their way to make it as memorable and make you feel as home as possible. So with that, that being said, let's get back to Mr. Mecca and his guests on America's Web Radio.
1: All right. Thank you, David. I, I ate me a wet meal in Vietnam also. And Doug, I guess you did too, buddy. <laughs> I did. I ate a Thanksgiving meal and a Christmas meal. All right. Very good. Listen, Doug, you, uh, when you were up at, uh, uh Wood, and then they sent you to Swankford, Vietnam, I'm uh, not Vietnam, Swankford, Germany. <laughs> And uh-huh. thank God you weren't there thank God you weren't swiped for doing World War Two, man. They they uh that was a tough target we hit. But you were yeah. you were trained as a, a armored personnel carry driver and you were there for sixteen months uh, thinking you weren't going to Vietnam, is that correct? That's correct. My orders had me staying there thirty two months, so I you know, I'd already wrote home told mom and dad I'd be there the rest of my tour in the military, so but I was shocked when they come told me a different.
3: Alright. And about
1: 16 to. months later, they came in and told you what? No. Well, I, we was out in the field in Hornsville. I'm, we, I'm that's where we'd done a lot of our things training. Things they things would load all our APCs up things. and we would load on trains and travel all night to Hornsville or Graffenbier. And we was there when, uh, when they come told me I'd come in and clean my track up and I was sitting on the my bunk playing some rummy with some guys and my first sergeant come in and told me to get my gear ready uh, that I was going home I said home I thought somebody had died or something he said yeah he said you're going to Vietnam so two weeks later from that I was in Vietnam yeah <laughs> Yeah, welcome home. Right. Uh, uh, that is uh, J- J- January 1968. You arrive in Vietnam. Uh, you're yep. assigned to the Third Third Battalion 60th, 60th Infantry uh, Mobile Riverine Force at Dong Tom. Uh, yeah, tell us a little yeah. bit about your arrival and being posted to the Mekong that Delta. Is, what did you think about when you uh, got down there in oh, that swampy it, area? It was the, uh... Well, when I got there, you know, I thought I'd be, when I got there, I thought, and, uh, I thought it'd be in the mechanized unit. When I got there, they put a, a, uh,
3: well, put 65
1: of us in the Mobile riverine port. When I got to my unit, everybody's equipment, all this dirty equipment with blood all over it, and and stuff was laying all over the ground, and they was cleaning it up, and I thought, what the You're heck has happened? Sixty-five people in my unit had got wiped out, so they had put 65 new recruits in there at one time. So that was a big shock there, seeing all that on the ground and knowing that that's what I was going to be. And they put us working with the Navy. It was an Army-Navy joint uh, mission, so uh, I was shocked when they put us on boats going down Yeah, did you – I know. Uh, did you uh, more? You satisfied? I, I, I guess I want to ask. You get you fine. Right. You piss off. Explain exactly what ten. the Mobile River Reading Force yeah. was in the Mekong Delta. A lot of people well, may not understand that. Man. Just try to most explain like what that, that Mobile River Force was. Stories of well, the Mobile River World 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 Force, and and they they, they, the, they, the Navy call it the Brownwater Navy. Most of the Navy guys are out right on the ocean and stuff like that, but they patrol the rivers. And uh my base camp was on a, a barracks ship with a pontoon up in front of it with, with these Navy tango boats and speed, you know, the Swiss boats and stuff like that. So when we'd done our operations, they would tell us what was supposed to be there. When we got there, so 2 o'clock in the morning or 1 o'clock in the morning, they'd load us up on these boats. And we would start going down the river to to where we were supposed to go, where they had intelligence that they were supposed to be Viet Cong out. So a lot of times we got ambushed on the way to those places. Man, man. Uh, so when the, we'd done that, the Navy would let us off. They would be a platoon of us of on a, one of those Tango boats, and uh, they would let us off, and we would start fighting. And they they would come back two or three days later and pick Ray us up. <laughs> it was mighty nice of them. Uh, yeah, that that uh, barracks ship you were on, I wrote a story about that this week. That was the USS Benawatt. Uh Tell us, tell us, tell the folks about this. Navy ship and you were on in the article river. Article uh, it, was, it was stationary. and served all the swift boats and stuff. But tell the listeners a little bit about the barrack ship USS Benoit. Okay, the Benoit, it was a ship, but it did have a small hospital on it. Uh, so when somebody got wounded, they would fly them back to the USS Benoit and they would take care of them there. But it was a barrack ship. They would be like a battalion of us yeah. uh I mean,
3: how would you find out
1: army guys and then they'd be yeah. the Navy guys Somebody there and that's, would like we would the stay there a night or two, then we'd go out on operations, right. operations coming back where we'd be Siderful. all muddy and I, I I dirty. But fighting. when we got back mm-hmm. the navy guys would spray us off with uh <laughs> our hoses before we went so back so. on the ship, because <laughs> they weren't gonna <laughs> let us get back on that ship the way really we looked. Uh, but but uh, it was a good ship. They had good food. Yeah, they no, had a bunch of, red bunch of Republicans. Oh, yeah. They had good food? Yeah. Well, we was eating price. sea rations all um, all the time we was out in the field. We was eating sea rations. Mm-hmm. So when we got back and got mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. fried yeah. chicken, <laughs> mashed potatoes, <laughs> and rolls, that was very I good had to had us. Four point I four-point. I, I weighed 178 I a pounds here. when I went over there. When I left, I weighed 129 pounds. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, woo. that's a big loss. She, now, I, I yeah. think the Benawah, the Benawah could, uh, uh so feed like a thousand men per day, is that correct? Yes, uh huh. It would feed all of them. Well, now, a lot of days we were out in the field, so when we were out in the field, they just read, fed the Navy guys and a few Army guys, headquarters people. people uh, but when we was all back in on the ship, that's how many they would feed every day. A lot of, a lot of guys. Well, oh, how many uh, Navy vessels, like the swift boats and landing yeah, craft, how many could they service? Right. Like well, each, months. each uh, like the Benoit, they probably had realize, 20 of those uh, tango boats. That's the way uh-huh. uh, and probably eight or nine swift boats. They had the mine sweepers and stuff like that that would go out in front of us I would say we while had, we uh, were going down the river. Stars, so, you know, uh, uh, sometimes they would hit five stars, mines and just flip them upside down. late. Those mine flippers. I would not have wanted been on the mine flipper. I guess not. Uh, what kind of gear do you guys have to lug? I know you uh, had to carry a lot in combat. So tell us a little about what you guys had to hunt. Well, us we didn't even carry a back because it was, but we carried uh three hundred rounds of ammo for the machine gun M sixty. I don't know. We carried a, a law, and we had to carry a, a round for the ninety millimeter. I figured. uh, we had to carry 20 magazines no, sure for our, no, no, no. my rifle. Oh, no, no, we had true. to carry C right. rations oh, and, right,
2: uh, so. uh,
1: a C ration and, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, hand grenades and stuff like that. We'd be loaded down pretty good. I know we got a lot of eagle flights it's a lot of time and jumping off those helicopters about six foot above six the ground seven, when you hit the ground with all that equipment on it. Not it not would sure. really jar you so, pretty good. Yeah, that's real good for the knees too, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. All right, but you didn't really take dry socks with you. A lot of people not going to understand it. that you're down in oh, muddy God. water and stuff like that. Uh Why didn't yeah. you carry too many dry socks?
2: No,
1: no. Well, we didn't carry no, any other clothes because from it's the something. minute we got off of that boat yeah, into the rice paddy and jungles, I mean, we, we stayed wet from to then on the until we got right. back to the ship. Okay, but so wasn't no need to carry any dry clothes or dry socks at all because. Five minutes after you put them on, they it's were wet again, so there wasn't no need. Was nice. I know when we got back to the ship, they would not let us wear yeah. our boots. We had to wear flip-flops because our feet were yeah. in such yeah. bad shape. No, no all shriveled up rain. and had rainworm no, all over. Oh. oh, man, you guys had it bad down there. See, people mine, don't know about that. That's not saying anything. He had some real... uh, uh Hardcore soldiers down there in the Delta, and people don't realize that. I appreciate but, the, uh, the service you did down there. Now, you weren't yeah. there, Delta, too long, when all of a sudden, from you joined a big either. flight of helicopters, and flew to Saigon. What was going on there, Doug? Well, I I, you know, I got there January the 1st, February the 1st, yeah, They flew us into
3: Saigon, Carlos
1: gets and everything. Happened, and they were, uh, flew us in on helicopters. We were out right in the rice batteries and when we got to Saigon, you know, they were just fighting like crazy everywhere. They were dead bodies, most of them Viet Cong. Uh, so we kind of enjoyed fighting in the houses and the hotels and stuff like that instead of being behind a rice paddy dike. Hmm. Uh, you were in what's called urban warfare yeah. during the yes. Yeah. You're going house to house and building to building, and the people are, are, are going to say, what, what does he mean he, he's like doing that? Explain the difference between, really, <laughs> explain the difference between urban warfare in Saigon versus down the Delta. Why, why well, do you I'll mention you... Yeah, go ahead. When we were in the Delta, we were just fighting, you know, off of the boat in the jungles and rice paddies. And and when they sent us to Saigon for the town defenses, we was fighting out of houses and stuff, and we was dry. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, it was scary, but still we enjoyed that fighting there more than we did out in the rice paddies. Cause you had more shelter, uh, uh when you, yeah, fight, that, fight I think, that. I think that, I think that's the key right there. You had places to hide. You had places to get behind. You weren't out in the open as a, a, a sitting duck, more or less. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, The Tet Offensive, how long were you in that urban warfare? Probably from three weeks to maybe a month, somewhere there about. I don't know exactly, because most of the time I didn't know where we was at and when we was there and stuff like that. But it it was a few weeks, I know. Let me ask you this. The the urban warfare, house-to-house, room-to-room fight, was that like you saw, saw in the movies, something like it? Yeah, you know, I see them, you know, like in the back and places like that No, That's the way they're fighting on you know, rooftops and stuff like yeah. that. Even though that's bad, I, uh, all war is bad. But, uh, yeah, mainly. all right, I got you, Doug. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, go to our real first break. Uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes, folks. All okay.
0: right. I'm your host, Dr. Hal. Every week we come to you with the information that you need so that you will be prepared to advocate for your family and for yourselves when it comes to your health care. God forbid we get Ossoff and Warnock in the Senate, and the left gets what they want, which is a majority in Congress and the White House. First of all, health care will be more expensive. There initially will be a public option. The government will run it. They will be initially very inexpensive. And it will drive commercial payers out of the healthcare market. Then the choices will disappear. The only insurer out there will be the federal government. And that's when we get a single payer.
1: All right, welcome back, folks. We're talking with Doug Gardner, a Vietnam veteran. He fought down in the Mekong Delta, which is about like fighting in the Everglades um, or the Okefenokee Swamp. Uh, Doug, you fought in, in Saigon house-to-house during the Tet Offensive, uh, which was different than the Delta. Uh, tell us about that one time you came under fire and you jumped for cover, and you landed where, buddy? Well, we was moving from one house to another house, and we come under fire real hard. And, you know, when quick you hear that AK-47 go off, you start looking for cover. And I seen this hole, and I just jumped over in the hole, and what it was, it was a theft pool. You know, in (laughs) Vietnam, the toilets are outside with boards going across it, (laughs) but this one didn't have any boards across it. (laughs) But I just dove in there, and that's what it was. It was a theft pool. And I, I come out thinking really, really bad. Uh, but, I bet the guy come out alive. See? There you go. There you go. It came out alive. Uh, I guess the guy sort of voyaged you, didn't he? <laughs> oh yeah. And the bad thing about that, I didn't, I didn't even get in the river for about three days to even try to get washed off. <laughs> oh my God! All right, now after uh, uh, the Saigon and Tet you went back to. Uh, down, uh, down in the Delta, and you were in some Bung uh, Tao and Cam Toe. You were in some horrific battles, but you uh, uh, you do remember the going down the river to Cam Toe in four boats, and as soon as uh, you got off, you got hit. Uh, that was an incident of a spider hole. Tell us about that day you went down the river to Cam uh, Toe. Okay. That was probably the worst day of my life. Well, I know it is the worst day of my life. We come under fire, and the boat docked, and we all come running off of the boat because we was under fire, and we, what it was, quickly as we get, got off the boat, we just, we was in the river bank trying to take protection to keep from getting hit, and I was beside my platoon leader, which was a first lieutenant, then there was a sergeant, then another guy, so he, he called my name, he said, come on, Garner, and we crawled up there to this hut where we thought the fire was coming from. He stood up to throw a grenade, and quick as he released the grenade, he got shot in the back. Well, I thought somebody from our company had shot him, and I was hollering back, don't fire, don't fire, we're up here. And And the sergeant beside him, he went over there and kind of cradled him, you know, to try to make him feel better, which I don't think he ever felt better. But when I was looking, I was laying on the ground looking to the left where they were at, and he got shot in the head. And, you know, I'm only like 15 feet from that where it was happening. Then the other guy on the other side, he got killed. And when he did, I looked back to my right and I seen a rifle going back down in my spider hole. Uh, and, you know, why? He, this is the thing about it, Pete. He was shooting over me and kill those three guys. And, you know, I always wondered what, what, why was that. I know I had a mama back home praying for me, uh, but that was that was a bad day. Go ahead. You were the closest to the sniper, yet he, he chose not to shoot you, right? Yeah, I, and why, I don't know, because I was only like 15 feet from the hole. I crawled right beside the hole at an angle. And, uh, he killed those other guys. And, and, you know, about that time my captain come running up and he, he just unloaded his 45 in the, in the spider hole. Uh, but that was a bad day. And then they, our company started coming up and this guy had got beside me and he, the captain told him we had to move forward. He told him, he said, I'm not moving forward. He said, yeah, we got to move forward. But he wouldn't go. And my captain pulled out his forty-five and was pointed right in the back of his head. And he said, I'm giving you a direct order that you have got to move forward. Uh, and at that point, that guy, we got up and moved forward. But I, I thought I was going to see another death right there with our own guy. Wow. You were in horrific combat there, buddy. Uh, God bless you and everything. You, uh, that had to be a bad day, Doug. And I understand why. You were always questioned, still are questioned. Why me? Why did I make it? So many guys didn't. Yeah, you know, I've often thought about those guys, mom and dad, and wives, and things like that. I know it had to affect him, but yet, you know, I got to come home, and I'm thankful that I did. But I still felt a little guilty about that. Uh, That's right called survivor's guilt and it, it's a yeah. uh, it's a it's a thing we all go through and, and still do yeah. uh at, now you also got another hotbed of enemy activity down at vung tau uh you said you were on a, a river boat for about six hours searching the tributaries uh-huh. and in one village you rounded up uh, about 30 dudes tell us about those guys you rounded up in that village okay well it happened you know when we get to place and we we'll be fairly secure The guys would come out, and the children would come out and sell us, you know, Cokes and beer and stuff like that. So that night, we got a call in from headquarters telling us to to go out and round up all the male figures that didn't have an ID. And uh, so we did, and we sent them back in. And the next day, we got a call back. From headquarters saying the thirty guys that we sent in were all high-ranking Viet Cong, and you know mm. they were out there with us the day and during the day and fighting us at night. So that was a bad feeling knowing we was right there with them all day a lot of times. So so the Viet Cong officers w- would come out and sell you stuff like beer or whatever, and then at night they try to kill you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Because yeah, I know where we were at and everything. <laughs> <laughs> what a war! What a great way to fight a war. Okay, yeah. all right, uh, Doug. Another instant, uh, you were on patrol with your Vietnamese scout. He uh, he set a booby trap. Tell us about that day. Yeah, uh, I normally walk point man, but that day I was walking behind the point man, uh, and he tripped a booby trap. Uh, and it was you know it, during dry season, the rice paddies would kind of crack up, and the booby trap was set down in the crack of that uh, rice paddy. But I got shrapnel in my chest and in my arm. I had my flat jacket on, but it was open right in the middle. Uh, but shrapnel hit him all in the back, and uh, he he had a bad day. So Yeah, that was, a, that yeah. was another time I was thankful. And I guess uh, uh, man, be right on top of what what about the uh, when you got hit and got the shrapnel you were evacuated? Tell us about that. Yeah, well they sent in uh, sent out the helicopter uh, to pick me up, which uh, they sent it back to the USS Benoit, and I I had shrapnel in my arm and in my chest, uh, but they left a piece of shrapnel in my in my chest. They said it was kind of deep, so they just left it. to Said I'd never have a problem with it, but uh. You know, and i done that, and about three days later, I was back out in the field again. So, <laughs> uh, a pretty good, pretty good medical facility on the Benoit. Yeah, it was a nice, you know, it wasn't a big ship, I mean, a big uh hospital, but it was enough nice, that they would send guys there that would, were wounded, not wounded bad enough to send them out, you know, to another country of Germany or somewhere like that to get worked on, but uh, they took pretty good care of us on that on that ship uh, well did they since you were wounded and in the hospital you got clean sheets and all that kind of stuff did they pamper you real good with some good food yeah we got good food that was one. <laughs> you know i wasn't expecting to be back at the ship that night so i got back to the ship and cleaned up and uh, got some good food uh, that, that piece know, of shrapnel yeah that piece of shrapnel in your chest has it ever bothered you no it never has bothered me no no problem whatsoever you know when i applied for some disability they they took x-rays to make sure that it was still there in my arm and they, the piece in my chest is still there not a big piece but it's a piece of shrapnel i bet you do really with my- the little with the metal detectors at the airports, don't you? Yeah, uh-huh. And, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, one good thing, you know, I got a Purple Heart from it, but I I don't think my Purple Heart equals a lot of guys' Purple Hearts that come back with no legs and uh, no limbs and stuff like that. But uh, I got a Purple Heart for it. And I know, I know uh, there is no Designation about the severity of your wounds when you get a purple heart. Uh, yeah. You think about pe- people like Tommy Clack. Um, yeah, uh, lost both legs and an arm, and he works in circles around you and me. What a guy he yeah. is! But yeah. uh, it, it, it is—I've uh, uh, heard that from a lot of guys. You know. Uh, why? Why did I get a Purple Heart? I got a scratch, and they put a band aid on it. And this guy over here uh, lost his sight or, or his hearing, or uh, lost a leg or arm or something like that, or, or you know never would walk again. And they get the same medal. Um, yeah, heard yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I don't know if they can do that though, Doug. You know, designate certain categories of the Purple Heart. I guess if you're hit yeah. and wounded, you're hit and you're wounded, and that's the way it goes. Uh um, yeah. All right, uh, Doug. From your injuries, or maybe your experiences down there in the Delta, uh, how often do you think about it? I know you suffer PTSD. But what is your biggest concern as as you move on with your life about your experiences in Vietnam? Well, you know, I go to I go back to Vietnam every day, Pete. Uh, it might just be for a moment, but. I see certain things, uh, it carries me right back to Vietnam. And you know, I've been diagnosed with uh hyper and hyperactive reflexes. When somebody comes up behind me or even touches me or just walks by me, I jump real bad, it just stalls me. Uh you know, I have to live with that every day. Uh and it's and it almost drives me crazy that that way because I get embarrassed. I was sitting in the doctor's office one day, and they sat beside a guy, and the guy reached over and grabbed the bill of my cap. He wanted to see what was on it, and I grabbed him before I know it. And I, you know, doing that stuff like that just embarrassed me. But he, he really shouldn't have never done that. <laughs> uh, I remember going to the VA once, uh, Doug, and, and I saw a guy walk out of the Platinum team. That was the mental health department. And uh, a t- tall, skinny guy, he had a hat on It uh, said, dysfunctional Vietnam veteran, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that explains it pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I know there was a post on Facebook, too, Doug. It, it uh, shows a guy in Vietnam. As a matter of fact, he's home to do a rice paddy, possibly down there, down there in the Delta. And the caption was, <clears throat> that old man over there on the walker, he's a bigger badass than you'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about friends, Doug? Down in the Delta and everything, you were in, in heavy combat, Um uh, Tell you what, we're going to get back to that in just a minute. We are going to our last break, Doug. So stay with me. And, folks, we'll be back in a couple of minutes with Doug Gardner, Vietnam veteran down in the Mekong Delta. Ladies
0: and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1,400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1,400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio.
3: And again, I want to take this opportunity to uh, invite all of you to listen. We're going to be coming in tomorrow at, uh, 10 o'clock on the David's Pick, and we'll be talking to Mike Roman, another Vietnam veteran, and we'll be talking about, we'll be talking Turkey. And just as, uh, Pete and his guests alluded to, uh, we've all been there, done that, and, uh, it's very interesting. But the military does try to take care of its own, and, uh, we'll have some stories about that tomorrow, and it's gonna be a great Thanksgiving show. We all, Wish you the very best, and uh, hopefully that uh, the COVID hadn't slowed you down and you'll be able to be with your loved ones and family. We'll be back with Pete and his guest right after this. oh my god he's back again yes i am one more thing and uh, i think pete would certainly endorse this is that uh, uh rick white and i were talking the other day and we're looking or they're looking for leaders in the uh georgia military veterans hall of fame has a scholarship fund and if you're in junior rot and there's some other qualifications but you're going to go to college, you've been thinking about uh, when you get out of college, joining going through ROTC in college and then going to the branch that you've picked, uh, think about talking to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and see about their scholarship fund. They want to help you because they realize that once you come out of ROTC in college, we have a leader on our hands and if you've committed to um, your 6 years or whatever then uh we're looking forward to uh, they're looking forward to talking to you and uh give them a, take a look at it and we encourage everyone be they high school or college graduates Take a look at the military for a career. It is one great opportunity for you and they have everything in the world going for them. So with that being said, you're listening to America's Web Radio. We're glad to have you on a veteran's, on a veteran's story. And now let's get back to Pete Mecca and his guest.
1: Thank you, David. Doug, Doug, you were, uh, uh, and I will say this, too, uh, about the Georgia uh, Military Veterans Hall of Fame that David just talked about. Uh, folks, there's a lot of great organizations out there that very few people know about. There's the Atlanta Vietnam Veterans Business Association. Uh, there's a site called uh, Vietnam War History Org, not dot org, but org. Uh, it's all Vietnam veterans. you got the World War II Roundtable in Atlanta. There are so many organizations where people can join and learn about our history. Uh, we are not, I guess, promoting wars or anything like that. We are just there to be with each other and to educate the American public about what it means to be a veteran. Now, Doug, I want to go through one more session, uh, uh, incident with you. Uh, you were walking point one day. And you had the blooper. Tell the people what a blooper is and what happened that day. <laughs> okay, what it was. M seventy nine, it's a grenade launcher and they call it the looper. My squad leader wanted me to walk Portland that day and I you know, normally I would walk it with a M sixteen or M fifteen. And uh that day I had the M seventy nine. So I was walking up through the jungle uh, and, and I came up to this hut and when I looked up the Viet Cong guy was coming around the hut the other way so we was about <laughs> 20 feet from each other when I seen him but he had his rifle tucked behind his head with his arms coming over the over the rifle so I it up and shot at him which were, I would have been too close for it to detonate but I missed the guy uh, I didn't have time to reload because it just carries one round with it. Uh, so I turned around and started running back towards the, the guys. And as quick as I found a place to hide myself, I jumped in there. And I looked back to see where he was at, but he was gone too. The only <laughs> thing I know is that if he ran one way and I ran the other way, but I was running, I could just feel a, a bullet going in my back. I was all drawn. I was going to get shot, but he never fired a round at me. So that's <laughs> another funny experience. That, that, that's another prayer your mama said, I guess, Doug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because he could have killed me very a- easy. That's amazing. He's about 20 feet from the enemy. He didn't know you were running into him. He's got the AK-47. you got the blooper or the looper, whatever you want to call it. That does carry one grenade round. You shoot it, and I guess you were so nervous you missed the guy. Uh, it wouldn't detonate, would it? That close, it wouldn't detonate. No, would. it would not have detonated. Uh, but
3: he would have it hey, Pete do, you, <laughs> Pete. do you mind if I come in for a second? Uh, I love the yeah, M- on, I love the M79 grenade launcher, and I don't know if you guys remember it or not, but the sound that it made when it fired, thump, thump, you know, and and uh, I don't know if you all remember this or not, but the Hunt's ketchup commercial when they put the tomatoes, they you know they'd thump a tomato down in the bottle and then it would go thump, and it sounded just exactly like an M79 grenade launcher. And uh, Doug, did you have that uh, loaded with uh, buckshot or were you using a grenade round?
1: I was using a grenade round right at that time. I had a buckshot. Why I didn't have it in there, I really shouldn't have even been walking point, man, with the M seventy nine. I was just doing what I was told. That was the last time I walked point and <laughs> <laughs> well, uh,
3: Now, a lot of a lot of folks did walk, walk point, but they they would have them uh, with buckshot.
1: And that day, I might not have had the buckshot rounds with me, but I I, I know that I had it around with a, which was a good name oh okay yeah. alright hey Doug Doug how good were you with that blooper how good were you with it well I know one time we was walking right across the rice paddy we seen these uh, Viet Cong running from us and they were in the open field and I think the whole squad opened up on them but I shot that round right in the middle of them so <laughs> uh, it might have been luck I don't know <laughs> But uh, well, it I didn't really that. have a sight on it. You, you just with with the the M seventy nine, you just sort of had to judge the distance, right? Yeah, and that's it. You just throw it up at an angle and hoped that the round come down where they were at. So, I've had guys tell me they could put that round in in a pistol barrel at fifty yards, and I don't know if they were that good or not. <laughs> 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 but, <laughs> but that that will. Well, if you remember during World War II, they said the uh, Norden bomb site, you could uh, drop a bomb in a pickle barrel from uh, 20,000 feet. That didn't pan out too good either. <laughs> no. I- <laughs> uh, Doug, uh, uh, after uh, about 10 months of intense combat, they finally gave you a cushy job. What, what, what did you call a cushy job after 10 months of horrific combat? Well, anything would have been a cushy job not being out in the field, but they sent me to Saigon my last two months. I was right outside a tons of Tonson Newt Air Base. We were guarding the, the base there, and we escorted trucks from the PX, I mean from the ships over to Tonson Loot at night. So that, I thought that was a pretty cushy go- job. Yeah, I, I did... At Tonsonute, in those days, uh, it was pretty safe. I don't, Did you get shot at? Nope, not the first time. <laughs> uh, I, I, I know, that that was pretty safe. We dodged a couple of rockets and mortars at Snoop, but that was a yeah. fairly decent base. Um, we could sure. always go downtown and party and stuff like that. But uh, God bless you, man. And when you came home, you married your sweetheart, didn't you? I did. Uh, we had been going together. When I went in the military, I think we'd been sweethearts for about two years. So when I went in the military, she came to, to uh, Fort Benning to see me, and that's where we got engaged at in Fort Benning, Georgia. So, and I still honeymoon? Still on your honeymoon? Yeah. Yeah. 51 <laughs> year. we still together.
0: <laughs> that's I, like
1: remember, that. I remember when we talked, Doug, you said uh, she's been my rock. But you suffered from PTSD, and she's always been there for you. She's the best thing that ever happened to you in your life. It is, no doubt about it. They say I way over married, so <laughs> she's, she's a beautiful lady. So. Well, it's like I told old Jarhead, Garrett Price, you you guys, uh, uh, I, the ladies you married are too good looking for both of you. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I can't it. uh, uh, I know, I know. Uh, Did you... uh, We're getting toward the end of the show, Doug, and I apologize for us being late getting getting to you, but tell us your feelings as we close this out. Tell us your feelings about Vietnam, about what you experienced, maybe about some of your buddies that didn't make it, Uh, if you've been to the wall in D.C., Um, and does it do you good to get with other veterans and and talk about this and talk about their experiences, talk about your experiences? Um, close this out with your final thoughts there, Doug. Well, for quite a few years, I went to a PTSD class and uh, I had a group of guys. Matter of fact, Gary Price was one of the guys. And, uh, it was just always enjoyable just getting together with the guys talking about. You know, a lot of times we didn't even talk about what happened. We just laughed and talked and enjoyed each other. And, uh, every once in a while we'd tell our war stories, but, uh, I just always enjoyed getting together with those guys. They're some good guys. I, uh, you know, when I got back to the airport, that wasn't a friendly place to just to be. I know they. T- I didn't get spit at, but I, they told us not to wear our uniforms home. So I thought that was very strange. Cause you know, yeah. we were, we were proud guys and then them tell us not to wear our uniforms home. Uh, and that was sad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think all of us at one point in our life been called baby killers. And see that yeah. worm's turned. That worm has turned. Uh, we've gone from being baby killers to uh, heroes. And like I repeat. Yeah. Just about every show, we are not heroes, and we're not baby killers. We're just another generation that did their job. We did what we had to do uh, under almost impossible conditions. Uh, The rules of engagement in Vietnam, I think, that cost us the lives of a lot of American boys. Uh, Yeah, good guys. I know, good guys. What kind of rules of engagement were there? Were there any rules of engagement down there in the Mekong Delta? No, I didn't understand the question. Were there any kind of rules of engagement uh, down there in the Mekong Delta? Yeah, that's, you know, that. Were you restricted from doing certain things? Well, when we were out in the Delta, we weren't restricted from anything. But now when I got to Saigon and Saigon unit, like the guys out guarding the ships and stuff like that, they told them if they see anybody swimming up towards the, the ships, that we could not fire at them, but you know, us infantry guys, <laughs> if we say that, we're going to fire. So, <laughs> so yeah. I, they, uh, uh, every time I went out on the fence, they said, it, it, uh, don't shoot them until they come across the fence. Well, yeah, you can yeah. always, <laughs> you cannot, I say say late. That's too late. Uh, uh, so you drag, drag them across the fence. I mean, yeah. um uh-huh. uh, It seems like Vietnam and a lot of other places, the American soldiers always have to go in there with their hands, at least one hand tied behind their backs. And, you know, it's tough. It's tough when you and your buddies, uh, like down there in the Delta, that that, uh, may not been too many restrictions down there, but you get to where civilization is, and all of a sudden, or where the news media may be, uh, you have yeah. to be the good guys in a war. And, uh, yeah. uh that, go go ahead, Doug. You know, when we was out in the fields, a lot of times photographers would go out with us. So we, you know, we had to kind of be restricted from what we would say and stuff. But, you know, when we got in a the firefight, they was in the firefight just like we was. They just didn't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were shooting pictures, but, the, uh, yeah, I, I, I do respect like, the, uh, Joe Galloway and the guys who were reporters, they'd go out there with the troops, and they saw what it was really like. And there were the cameo journalists who went out for a day and stayed there about an hour, and then went back to their secure bases like in Saigon and yeah. stayed at a nice, clean motel room and, and um, reported as best they could and usually slanted the wrong way. But people like yeah. Joe Galloway, and we lost a lot of reporters in Vietnam that were really trying to cover that uh, war the way it should have been yeah. covered but uh, yeah. Doug my friend you to me are a hell of a hero uh, you, you saw it all down there in the Delta let me ask you one thing before we go did you even know there was an I-Core and a II-Core when you were in Vietnam nope you know I thought all of Vietnam was flat like where I was at <laughs> until I got home and started talking to Gary Price and I said they talking about these mountain hills and stuff I said there wasn't no hills in Vietnam <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear from everybody. Doug, thank you for a great interview, my friend. Uh, God bless you. Tell your wife I love her to death. Uh, you take care of yourself. Um, welcome home, buddy. Welcome home, Pete. And I enjoyed talking with you. Uh, great interview. Great interview, folks. Join us next week for another great story on a veteran story.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.